Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's time for Cleveland Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Cleveland Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today, we have with us David Bowders with Sparks IQ. Welcome, David. Thanks. Great to be here today. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Sparks IQ. How are you serving folks? So our company really has three key businesses that we're in. The first is the analytics of sales, profitability, and price optimization, which is really helping industrial B2B companies, manufacturers, distributors to optimize their sales revenue, their pricing, their profitability. The second key uh, business that we have is uh, data collection point of sale hubs, which basically are the infrastructure of how manufacturers and distributors collaborate using data and digital content across their industry platforms. And then the third key business is really a core sales skills and talent selection uh, system. So we provide a wide variety of Netflix style uh, core sales skills training, as well as analytics to help companies hire the best fit sales forces for the products they take to market. So now, how did you get into the line of work of analytics? And then how did it, I'm sure we'll get to how it evolved into sales training? So we started out in the field of strategic pricing and price optimization. And our company, previously known as SPA or Strategic Pricing Associates, I started in 1993. Back then, uh, strategic pricing was very much a new field. And uh, companies were just starting to move away from cost plus and Wild West, uh, Salesforce pricing behaviors towards more uh, scientific, uh, analytical uh, pricing models to help them optimize their profitability. As we worked with Salesforces over the years, we discovered that while we could provide them with the analytics to guide them to better pricing, in a lot of cases, they lacked the core sales skills training, either to sell on value or to negotiate effectively with their customers. And so in order to bridge that gap, we branched into the field of negotiation training first to help reinforce the, uh, the analytical tools we were providing to capture better pricing. And then eventually we realized that the sales skills gaps in industrial B2B were bigger than just negotiation skills. There were core uh, sales skills that were missing, uh, broadly speaking, across industrial B2B sales forces. So it was kind of the, the we call it the... Um, setting and getting. The analytics is uh, what to go after, and the getting is how to have the skills to actually achieve those goals. And so, that was really the, the perfect mix when we brought those two together. So now, initially, what uh, attracted you to kind of optimizing pricing? Like, where did you see the inefficiency? Well, I started out in microeconomics. So I went to college at Oberlin, uh, west of Cleveland, and specialized in economics, in particular microeconomics, and taught price theory as a teaching assistant there. And then when I went to grad school, I continued doing that, uh, basically focused on microeconomics and being a teaching assistant while I did my MBA. When I got out of school, I didn't get the job I wanted to uh, in finance. Instead, because of my, my background in price theory or microeconomics, I got put into a, a pricing job at IBM. I worked there for a year and a half and then uh, went to work at Booz Allen, what was then Booz Allen, now Booz and Company, doing pricing strategy for their clients. And then in 1993, uh, started uh, what was then Strategic Pricing Associates. So I was really working in the field of pricing. I understood 
it was an emerging uh, field that had lots of opportunity. Lots of companies were just doing old cost plus approaches to pricing. They didn't really have a way of translating their data into better pricing insights. And so it was a very opportune time to get into that business. Now for, uh, like, say you're a professional service person, how would you go about kind of setting pricing like in your like field? If you're in, uh, you know, in our field or in the field of, let's say, somebody who's a lawyer or an accountant? Right. Like if you're in a field like a, and, and there's, you know, lots of lawyers with lots of different skill sets and lots of different expertise, how do, how do you initially kind of set pricing? Is there a science to that or is it kind of you just do it and then you learn and you iterate? <laughs> I'd say it's both. I think, you know, obviously thinking about pricing is step number one. So thinking uh, critically about what should the pricing be for what you're doing and should there be different variations in it? So could there be, you know, for more common types of work, having a lower base rate and then for more specialized or complex work, having uh, versions that take you into higher price tiers. There's always a trade-off between complexity and uh, optimization. So if you get too complex, then you can't communicate it to customers. You can't uh, enforce it. You can't execute it. But you also don't want to necessarily have be a single price uh, shop. So you want to be thinking creatively about you know where could we charge more successfully and how would we communicate and message the value. And then there is the uh, the feedback loop, which you're talking about, which is how do we understand over time? Is there any resistance at all to our pricing that we put in place? Or is it pretty much, uh, are these relationships sticky and they just keep rolling over and rolling over? So I'd say it starts by thinking uh, critically about where there should be variation. And then with time, you start to adapt based on what you learn in the marketplace. So now when you got into this side of the business, was it in a certain niche or industry, or is this something that applies to any industry? Well, we focused very early on industrial B2B manufacturing and their distribution channel partners for the simple reason that in that industry, the complexity is great and the amount of data that's available is great. So a typical distributor, wholesale distributor may have, let's say 10,000 products, they may have 5,000 customers that translates into 50 million possible pricing permutations. And the challenge for their sales force, which may have 50 or 100 people or more uh, selling and pricing on a daily basis is trying to know what is the optimal price in each of 50 million possible permutations. And historically, sales reps were terrible at trying to solve that problem. So they take their cost They'd add margins to it, typically ones that conveniently ended in zeros and fives. They'd slap those margins on the products and they'd cross their fingers and hope that the margin dollars that they created were enough to offset the cost of serving the customer. Of course, that's not a very smart or intelligent way of doing it, but it does accomplish the narrow task of pricing those 50 million permutations. So we like the fact that industrial B2B is complex, that there was an immaturity in the way it was being done. And historically, uh, for a wholesale distributor, they might only make 4% operating profit as a percent of sales. If we could help them get 200 basis points, which is kind of the, the low mark that we would go after, that would increase the value of that business by 50%. They'd go from being a 4% operating profit company to a 6%. So we just kept doing that over and over and over again. And the story was very similar with manufacturers. They had a lot of the same challenges of their own. And then downstream, their distributor partners had those challenges as well. So now when you move from pricing into sales, um, 
it seems like when you described it initially, it seems like a very organic kind of path that one thing led to the to the next thing. Um, do people in general, your clients in general, have a more of a challenge with getting the pricing right or getting the selling right? Well, it's funny. If you ask the sales force, they'll say we need to get selling right. If you ask the shareholders, the CFO, if you ask uh, people who really understand the profit structure of the business, meaning the net profit structure, the fact is that pricing has a bigger is a bigger lever in most industrial B2B businesses than sales is. It's much easier to get a 50% improvement in profit by getting two extra margin points than it is to grow your revenue by 50%. So um, practically speaking, um, companies focus on sales, but if they really have their act together, they understand the, the power of pricing leverage is much greater. And when they really evolve, they realize that pricing and sales go together and they need to reinforce each other. So now is, is pricing, it sounds like pricing isn't a set it and forget it uh, um, operation. No, that, that no it, that's really why we like the industrial B2B space, because there's constant churn and customers coming and going. There's products swapping in and out. The commodities that go into the products are changing costs all the time. So it's a very dynamic problem where you can't set it and forget it because there's an underlying dynamism in the, the structure of the problem that requires ongoing optimization. So now when you're working with a client, um, how does the beginning of an engagement occur? Is it something that they're coming to you where they know that they have a problem or there are symptoms to something else and you're kind of putting two and two together that this is a pricing sales problem? Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of different pathways into working on the pricing problem. One of them is a frustration with the amount of effort and inconsistency of field-based pricing, where sales reps have what we call Wild West pricing behaviors. Basically, the company feels like it can't control its margins. It can't manage vendor cost increases or, or material cost increases because the sales force fundamentally lacks any process or structure in the way that they make their pricing decisions. So that's where kind of a process focused introduction where they want to get the process under control. They may have economic motives, but they're secondary to, uh, to simply trying to get consistency, let's say, and uh, rein in some of the more egregious um, problems they see in the field. The second is what we see with private equity uh, owned companies with, um, companies that are preparing to exit, owners preparing to sell out, where they're trying to maximize shareholder value. And that's where they have explicit financial goals. They want to go from being a 4% EBIT company, for example, to being 6% or 8%. And so that type of pathway is, uh, is very much financially driven. And then there's other times where companies practically speaking, they may be migrating from one ERP system to another. They have very practical needs where they need to figure out what is our transitional pricing strategy? Or they may be doing acquisitions and trying to figure out how to harmonize uh, disparate pricing structures. So they're just a few of the pathways, but uh, we see uh, every manner of different types of uh, pathways into pricing. So now when you're um, uh, getting uh, on board with the sales training, was that something that happened internally in your own organization that you figured out ways uh, in selling that you were able to transfer over or you were able to kind of create a theory about sales and how to optimize with pricing that you were just able to kind of deliver to your clients? Well, it actually came about because we went into the negotiation training business. And what I didn't like about 
the training as a business idea was that it was usually a one, one and done type of process. People show up in a conference room for a day or two. They drink out of the fire hose. They learn a few basic things. And usually by the time they get home, it's gone in one ear and gone out the other ear, what we call the forgetting curve. So it was bad from a, a student's perspective because it wasn't retentive. And it was bad from a business perspective because you had to keep reselling your book of business. So what we focused on early on was how would we design training that was naturally retentive, that was more of a drip training model as opposed to a fire hose. And then secondly, how would we make it, because it was creating value in a drip fashion, it was creating revenue for us in a SaaS fashion. So we basically made it a subscription. And as we thought about that problem, we realized based on the evolution of the entertainment industry, namely the streaming uh, revolution, that if we would stream core skills training around negotiation, how to sell more effectively, build stronger business relationships, business acumen for salespeople, that we could effectively start selling subscriptions to that training that were like Netflix for salespeople is the way we like to put it. So we understood the gaps because we were working with sales teams out in the marketplace. We understood what kind of a business model we needed to have to be economically successful. And we understood what type of a learning model we needed for salespeople to actually master these skills and to apply them in daily workflow. Now, one of the challenges of that Netflix model is that you have to perpetually kind of push the content curve, that you have to be constantly getting better and better and newer and newer content. How, how do you feed that machine? Uh, so there, it does require you to constantly have a docket of new content that you're creating. The good news is, unlike in our personal lives with Netflix, where we have almost insatiable appetite for content, when it comes to learning, salespeople, generally speaking, don't consume that much content. A typical sales force might consume, I don't know, four hours per month of content. They're they're spending most of their time selling. They're not spending most of their time uh, watching this type of program. So naturally speaking, the, the amount of content is much lower than, you know, people watching TV three hours a day or whatever they do. Um, the second is that we built a platform with a partner, which we call Empower. And Empower uh, allows salespeople, not only allows, but fosters salespeople's ability to create their own content that augments and adapts what we teach them into the specific markets they serve. So a sales rep might watch a video on prospecting, for example, and then create a short three-minute video using uh, FaceTime or similar Zoom technology where they explain how they applied that to a particular type of customer they were prospecting. And over time, it's kind of like the football game that gets played for three hours on Sunday and then the talk shows start kicking it around all week, creating hours and hours of content around those sporting events the crowdsourced content from the sales team starts to supplement and augment and adapt the content that we provide. So you can think of it as kind of mashing uh, Netflix with uh, YouTube, where we have a large amount of user-generated content by the sales teams that's uh, augmenting and uh, adding to what we provide uh, filming using Hollywood techniques. Now, are you still um, serving the same marketplace in terms of uh, distributors and manufacturers? Now, when we got into the, the core skills training, we realized that in order to invest at that scale, we had to address much broader markets. So instead of it being an industrial B2B, the focus was on complex B2B. So now we would sell this content not only into core industrial B2B, we'd also sell it into financial services, tech products, software, medical devices, 
uh, a variety of different complex B2B uh, sales environments, not just industrial. So that obviously expanded the uh, population, the target market that we could serve. Now, um, just I'm sure as over time you were able to develop kind of these do's and don'ts of pricing for your clients, uh, have you kind of kind of uh, curated some do's and don'ts of selling? Absolutely. So we brought in uh, Mike Kunkel, who is one of uh, LinkedIn's global thought leaders around sales effectiveness, and we built uh, built out a core sales effectiveness practice for our customer base. So we needed to become domain experts in uh, sales effectiveness. And we were one of the early pioneers in the Sales Enablement Society, which is a fast-growing movement of uh, sales leaders who are focused on how to accelerate performance in their sales teams. And so we invested that in that as a core capability at Sparks IQ. So now uh, what's the most rewarding part of the job for you now? Uh, it's really seeing companies move the needle. You know, for years, a lot of companies have had their margins riding at flat levels. They've had sales growth that's mediocre, below market. And what we like about our business is not only do we help people, but we can actually measure the impact in dollars and cents that we create for our clients. And so it, it's great at a subjective level, seeing people improve their performance in fields that have been stagnant for long periods of time. And it's great, obviously, to uh, be able to help these companies to generate more income, more uh, resources to invest and grow, the ability to uh, become platform companies for being bigger and more successful. So it's, it's really the story of transformation, both at the personal level, helping individuals get better, and then at the enterprise level with their uh, financial resources. So now any advice for folks out there that are navigating uh, hopefully the end of this COVID pandemic, things they should be doing and taking action on today? Uh, well, if you're in the, if you're in industrial B2B, you should be on the lookout for extreme supply shortages and higher than average vendor cost increases. So getting your pricing uh, house in order is going to be more important in an inflationary economy than it has been historically. The Fed is now committed to 2% plus inflation as a target, and we have lots of uh, supply chains that have been disrupted by our, our trade conflicts with China. We also have uh, uh, some demographic shifts that are coming that will be pushing costs up in the years that are coming. So being effective at pricing is going to be really important. More broadly, I think embracing uh, analytics, making uh, business decisions analytically, is going to become much more important. And then, of course, there's the growing use of machine learning and artificial intelligence to leverage data to be able to make better business decisions, allocate resources more effectively. Companies really need to stay on the cutting edge of, of using these technologies to um, to maximize their effectiveness. So if there's somebody out there um, that wants to learn more about either your pricing, your negotiation, or your selling uh, help, can they uh, find you online? What's the website? Uh, you can reach us at sparksiq.com, S-P-A-R-X-I-Q, one word, dot com. And you can also find me, David Bowders, B-A-U-D-E-R-S, at LinkedIn. And uh, we'll be happy to set up a call. Good stuff. Well, David, congratulations on all the success. You're doing important work, and we appreciate you. Okay, well, thank you, and glad to be here. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Cleveland Business Radio. Mm-hmm.